All right, well, we are going to continue in our, our series today on the truths about our tongue. So get, go ahead and get your Bibles out, and we'll uh, work through that. This is actually lesson number three in truths about our tongue. And um, it's a four-part series. We've done two already. Some of you might have caught one or two or none. We'll do a little bit of a review here, quick one. And then we'll launch into uh, some new material uh, today, a lesson three on the truths about our tongue. Again, we'll conclude that next week in lesson four. But in, in lesson one, we looked at James chapter three, and we looked at our terrible tongue. And in James chapter three, I, I don't know about you, but it, it's easy when you look at that, in my, at least in my experience, to be a little despaired. We see the terribleness, the sinfulness, uh, the fallenness of our speech and how that's traced back to a wicked, sinful heart. We can trace that back to Romans. It, the tongue personifies the, uh, the wickedness of man's heart. It comes out in the tongue. And we saw in James 3, it's, it's a fire. The tongue causes destruction. Destructive words spread quickly like a forest set ablaze, James says with the potential to create massive harm. And it's said there, if you can bridle and control the tongue, you'll be able to control your life. That important. One who bridles their tongue can bridle the rest of the Christian life. It's that important. So if we've watched the tongue, we'll know how to watch our life. When we develop a more sanctified tongue that speaks more redemptively, we know, we can see that we're growing in our Christian walk. The tongue is a display of the heart. The heart, the seat of our desires, our thoughts, our actions. And while James chapter 3 is quite despairing, I mean, the, heart, the tongue, it's, it's a thing that's just bigger than us. Uh, in fact, James goes on to great length to say it's untamable. You know, man can tame the horse, man can tame and, and direct a ship, right? Just through a little tongue, but he cannot control. He can, he, or not through, through a small rudder, he can control the ship, but a man cannot control his own tongue. So how do I speak to glorify God? In lesson two, we talked about getting to the heart of my speech, it gets to the heart. God specializes in heart change. And this is good news. Despite the untamable tongue that's connected to the heart, God changes hearts. It's what he does. We cannot do that, but God can. And therefore, there's hope for us to speak properly, to live a, in, a, in a way that's glorifying to God and to grow in the Christian walk. Ezekiel 36 said uh, this promise, the new covenant, 26 and 20, verse 26 and 27, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We need new hearts. And when we trust Christ, we get a new heart, and when we get a new heart, we have the opportunity to live the Christian life. Before we get the new heart, we cannot. We have a heart of stone. 
We're dead in sin. We're dead in our trespasses. But there's new life in Christ. And as we put on that new identity, as we start living out the Christian life in the new identity we have in Christ, we can clean up our speech. But what do we do? We often try behavior modification, don't we? Aren't we good at trying to be good Pharisees? Polishing up the outside without addressing the inside? We try to clean up our act and try to clean up our speech. And we learned last week that behavior modification like that is destined to fail. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These, these things that come out of the heart, these are what defile the person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Cleaning up the outside, we might look good on Sunday, we might good look, look good in front of others, and you know we all try to do our best in doing that, but Jesus is clear. What comes out of the mouth, really, it proceeds from the heart, and, that, and therefore the heart is the real cul- culprit. It's not what's seen on the outside. Address the heart, and you will address your outward behavior. You might think of uh, a situation I had not too long ago. Christy and I in her home, we had a flooded basement. Not a fun thing when you walk down in uh, the basement, come down the steps, and all of a sudden your feet feel wet. It's like, oh, this isn't good. It's not supposed to be wet down here. (laughs) You start looking around, it's like, oh, there's water everywhere. And I'll just give you a scenario. It wasn't all that bad. We had to do some work. But imagine flood levels coming up like boom, 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 several feet of water, and there's just there's, there's, there's a water source somewhere, and it's flooding in. And the first thought might be, get a bucket, right? Start bailing out the water. Get, get, open up the doors and let it out. And I might think of, oh, let's pass around a clipboard, boundless ministry, bucket brigade, boundless bucket brigade, we'll call it, right? And we'll get a bunch of you out there, and we'll just, we'll all get in a line, and we'll start, uh, you know, flushing out the water and get it out because it keeps coming up, and we're just going to keep working this week to get that water out. And some of you, perhaps a little more astute than I might say, you know, maybe we should try to find the source of the leak. You know, maybe that, you know, that would be a little easier on everybody. And we could all get back to our studies. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, these overtime shifts, I got you guys working here. And that would be a good question to ask. Why? Because that's the source of the problem. Get back to the source of the leak. Get back to the source of the issue. And Jesus says the source of the issue, your outward behavior, your sin, is going back to the heart. Don't focus just on the outside. Get back to the inside. And we looked at that in... Um, In James chapter 4 last week, remember verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What do we see here? There's a direct connection between the desires of my inward heart and my outward behavior, okay? And these desires are fighting for control in my heart. There's a spiritual battle going on inside. And not all these desires in my heart and what I want, what motivates me, are necessarily wrong. I can desire something good 
but desire it so much that I sin to either attain it or to keep it. And that's when it becomes a sin. And that's in James chapter 3, verse 2. It says, you desire and do not have. You're denied. And what's the result? You murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. The source is in the heart. So you, there's some things you can ask yourself about your desires. How do I know if my desire has become a wrong desire, a sinful desire? You ask yourself, well, what is it that I desire or want? What is it that I'm really wanting, okay? Again, that desire is not necessarily a wrong thing. But number two and three gives is the litmus test, right? Am I willing to sin to fulfill this desire? Or do I respond sinfully when this desire is unfulfilled, when it's denied, okay? Ask yourself those questions. Identify the desires. These help you identify what the Bible calls desires of the heart. And really, it goes down to a verse in um, Ezekiel 14. Other verses, of course, say the same thing and really essentially saying what, what, uh, what James is telling us in uh, James chapter 4. It says this, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. What's Ezekiel, what, what, are we, what are we learning here in Ezekiel? Idols are not just idols of stone that are carved, carved images, idols of wood that are bowed down and worshipped. Those are, those are quick to identify. And what we see here is idols taken into the heart. Things we idolize, things we make more important than the Lord. And if you remember, we, we looked at um, this, this little chart here. Engineers like flowcharts, okay? And so this is near and dear to my heart. A desire, okay, can be a wrong desire. These, these questions, okay, that I'm willing to sin to keep it or to attain it or to preserve it. So the desire is to please self. It's sinful. What does that lead to? Disobedience, a behavior that's where there's sinful words and actions. Again, what's proceeding from the mouth is coming from the heart. I'm protecting a sinful desire, something I want. And that'll lead to emotions. Anger, anxiety, depression. We don't live the Christian life in a feeling-oriented way. They're not the litmus test of who we are, but we can't ignore them. We need to look at our emotions and what's going on in our life, and those emotions that are good and godly and, and proper are things that need to be traced back to behaviors and to the heart. We need to take those backwards, and that's what we're doing today when we look at and, and in the series, as we look at the sins of, of the heart and sins of the tongue, our hearts are idol factories. And when these emotions come out like this, we need to look at them as a warning light. Identify the heart's desire that's not being fulfilled. Address the idols of the heart, these root sins, the, the sin behind the sin. And invariably... I know in my life, and I would say in yours as well, when things aren't going well, when, we, when, we're, when we're tempted to speak and sin in speaking something inappropriate or behaviors that are inappropriate, protecting a desire, we, we, we tend to blame those situations on our circumstances, right? Why am I saying these things? Why am I so upset? Why, do I want, why am I angry and, and quarreling? 
Why am I doing these things? We, we, we invariably blame our circumstances. Christy and I were traveling in Ohio during Thanksgiving week. And there's a lot of other people traveling during Thanksgiving week. And that means when I'm driving down through the cornfields of Ohio on a two-lane road, invariably there's a pickup truck. Sorry if you own a pickup truck. Uh, that's driving 45 miles an hour, right? And I'm trying to get from, we're zigzagging all over Ohio, and I don't have time for a 45-mile-per-hour pickup truck who has all the time in the world to enjoy the scenery and the deer and the empty cornfields. I have a place to get to. I want to get to Thanksgiving, and I want to enjoy time with the family, and we've got plans, and we've got a schedule. And, and what's, coming, what's coming out of my heart, which I was noticing, which I was kind of tuned into this since I've been studying this topic for a few weeks, uh, anger, complaints. I was whining, and I was vocal. I was whining to Christy, so she's putting up with my, my grumbling, okay, as we're, as we're moving along. And I don't know if you feel like that with some drivers when you're trying to get point, point A to point B and this person's not respecting your schedule. And as a good engineer, I'm thinking about, well, how can I retrofit this rocket launcher, like right on top of my little Hyundai Sonata, right? <laughs> to just like, just get that car out of the way in a, uh, you know, in a just dramatic fashion uh, so I can get out of my way, right? Because I'm saying, get out of my way. You're, 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 you're ruining my plans, right? Uh, and yet, Christy's sitting next to me, and she's just sleeping, enjoying the time, looking at the scenery, same circumstances, but a completely different response. She's enjoying the moment while I'm just, you know, how do we get, how do we get moving here? Our responses were dictated by what was ruling, the ruling desire in our hearts, right? I had a plan that was being foiled, and Christy was just fine. It wasn't the circumstances, it was the desire that wasn't being met in my case, that really drew out what was in my heart. So there was ugly there that wasn't being, a desire that wasn't being fulfilled. So my circumstances, good or bad, are not the root issue to my sinful outward behaviors. Jesus directs us to the heart, and specifically our desires. They're they're the key. So we need to identify the sin behind the sin, right? Why did I say what I said? Why do I gravitate and give in to telling and hearing gossip? Why, why can't I control swearing in a fit of anger? Why do I complain or whine or vent when faced with a less than ideal uh, situation? Why do I pour on flattering words of insincere praise to someone? So the next time you hear yourself saying something out of line, ask yourself, what am I desiring so much that I will sin to get it or sin when I don't get it. Our tongues tattle on our hearts. What we need to look at is a complete reorientation of our lives. This is the Christian life, right? We are in the process with God's help, with God's enabling, with the Spirit of God to live a victorious Christian life that is less about ourselves and more about God. That's why we're here, right? We're, we're, we're here not to just get a pat on the back and feel good about ourselves. We want to be more like Christ. If you have the Spirit of God, He is in the process of changing you. He has begun a work that He will complete, praise God. And this, it's all about 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. It's a reorientation of our lives, away from self 
and, a, and, and over towards God. It's a, it's a life of repentance. It's a life, a life of, compassion, uh, uh, of confession. It's a life of giving ourselves over. And therefore, when we look at our little chart, again, my little flow chart here, uh, it's, it's, it's about changing our desires, changing our heart to please God, to desire the things of God. And as we reorient our hearts more and more in increasing, as we grow in sanctification, in, in molding and shaping that heart, what? It comes out in our behavior. Because what comes, from the, what comes out of the heart, right? We, we see, we'll see that in obedient, God-honoring words and action. And that is displayed in blessing, living the blessed life. James says, you'll be blessed in your doing. There's blessing in obedience. There's blessing in giving more and more of your life to the Lord. And that just comes out in our life. And this doesn't mean it's easy. This, this is not, you know, when we say emotions of, of blessing, of joy and happiness and peace, that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not trials. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. We're not talking about a bowl of cherries and, and, and harp playing in clouds, right? This isn't what we're talking about. This is, the, the real life is in the trenches. It's with trials and, and God perfecting us. And yet in all that, James says, we can have joy. We can have joy in trials. Why? Because as, if our desire is to please God, we can look at trials in a whole new way. And that'll come up not in perverse speech when a trial comes, but thankful speech, in God-honoring speech, in speech, that, that, speech that, is, that, is, that is thankful to the Lord. And that leads to blessing in our life, okay? So here's what we're going to look at today as we do that little rundown there, is um, identifying destructive words and their sinful words. This is, this is uh, uh, lesson number three in Truths About My Tongue. Identifying destructive words and their sinful roots. So in order, uh, as we talk about living the Christian life and changing our desires and molding and fashioning our heart after God, we have to get really specific. What are the sinful words of the tongue? What are they specifically and how do I say them? What are the words I'm saying that is tattling on my heart that I need to listen to, that are revealing ruling desires that have a bigger place, idols of the heart that I need to dethrone, that I need to be aware of and work on in the Christian life. And one way we can do that is by identifying these destructive words. So a key, some key thoughts for today, what we're going to be doing. We're going to identify specific sins of the tongue. Now, this is a big task, okay? We're not going to get to all of them today because, as we remember from James you know, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Any sin can be personified, can be spoken in the tongue, and generally starts there. But we want to identify some of these uh, and, and, and bring to God, and bring these to God in confession and repentance. These are things I need to bring to him. I need to confess. And then to take that a step further, to know your heart. And to know your heart, I need to listen to my speech. To change my speech, I must address my heart. It's a two-dimensional approach here. I need to see my sins of the tongue. I need to hear it. I need to confess it. And I need to learn to take that a step further. Take it to my heart. What is, what am, what is the idol of my heart that is being spoken by my tongue? 
What is that ruling desire? What is that idol? So, um, so today we're going to specifically ad- identify some of these, these sins and so forth. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. We're going to start looking at some specific sins of the tongue. All right? This is your assignment. Sorry, we're starting early before your classes start tomorrow. All right? As we review each of these sins of the tongue, we're going to look at primarily nine of them. All right? I want you to take a note, either whether you're writing or in your mind. Okay? Take note of the sinful speech that you are currently committing or that you routinely struggle with. When you go over that, you might say, oh, yeah, I did that yesterday. I was complaining just like Rich was. I wanted to retrofit a rocket launcher on my car, too, and take out this, these cars. Or it may have come out in some other ways we're going we're gonna to talk about. Two, consider the circumstances when you said these things, when you sinned, right? How you said them against whom you said those things to. Okay, so talk, take note of that. And then you ask yourself the second level here, the second, the second level dimension here. What are the specific desires of my heart that I'm willing to sin for with this sinful speech? All right? So what was the sinful speech? The circumstances you said them and who you said them against? And then what were the desires of the heart? What were you protecting? What were you trying to get from those? So our first sin of the tongue we're going to look at is grumbling and complaining, the one I just confessed to you a few moments ago. This is how we'll look at each one, okay? And these will be quick, quick little rundowns of each of these sins, okay? So I did a deep dive into a lot of these. If you want more information on them, I'll have more to share. We, we certainly can't, we could spend a, a boundless Sunday on each one of these, And grumbling and complaining is certainly one of them, right? What do we look at here? Grumbling. A display of dissatisfaction in one's circumstances that's ultimately rooted in the unbelief of God's promises and provision. We see the clear commands in Scripture, like Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's interesting, this passage here, Philippians 2, immediately follows the command to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I mean, the overarching command we have to strive to be sanctified and holy and, and, and to put off sin and to put on Christ, right there, in the, right the first command is this command to not grumble or dispute. It goes right to the tongue. Oh, how we need his strength in overcoming grumbling, complaining words. If you think about grumbling and complaining, I I think we'd all have to admit it's become quite commonplace in our vocabulary, isn't it? It's hard to go a few sentences without just muttering something we're dissatisfied with. I know that's true for me. I'm just always tempted. It's part of our everyday speech, and it can become so commonplace, we scarcely even recognize it as sin. What's the issue here? It's the expectation. It's from the heart of this trouble-free life, right? It's our expectation. Circumstances should revolve around my desires, my comfort, my schedule. And yet God has other plans. He intends to make you more like Christ. 
and he is too good to give you everything you want when you want it. Number 16 talks, um, speaks about, remember Korah and his rebellion, the leaders of Israel that rebelled against Moses and Aaron and their, their authority. And we see here God taking the sin of grumbling very seriously. If you remember, they were swallowed up. The earth opened up and it closed back up on them. It was a very vivid show of God's dissatisfaction with grumbling and complaining. And the next day, the very next day, the rest of Israel started complaining and grumbling about what God did that day. Complaining against Moses and Aaron again, and there were 14,700 that died that day from a plague that the Lord sent in response to their grumbling and complaining until Moses offered an atonement for, for their sins, the plague was ready to wipe them all out. They needed an atonement for their sins. It required something from the Lord to appease the Lord in his absolute, utter holiness, personifying and really symbolizing what we have in Christ, the sacrifice of Christ himself, who presents a sufficient atonement to, to fully satisfy the wrath of God. And you could say, yes, for our sins of complaint, for our grumbling, how we praise and give honor to God that, that we are not toasted in an instant because we're covered by the blood of Christ and one day we can stand before him and not fear condemnation. But today we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do I want so badly what do I want so badly that I'll argue and complain against God? What am I discontented with in my circumstances that God has ordered for me? Why am I dissatisfied with his timing? You know, my experience uh, over the weekend in complaining about the slow vehicles uh, ahead of me, my time frame was different than the Lord's. And I had to ask myself, I was asking myself these questions, is my schedule really all that important that I would sin to get it? And I really, I, I went to the Lord, I, in my heart I was asking him, settle my heart, Lord, help me to agree with your time frame. Help me to enjoy the day you have made and to be content with your plans and to make his plans my own. Grumbling and complaining. Let's look at the next one, flattery. Here's a real devious sin of the tongue. Flattery, a lie disguised as an encouragement that's fueled from a selfish motive to manipulate. Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flattery. I, when I was uh, in college, we, uh, I was president of the Industrial Engineering Honor Society. Alpha Pi Mu. Why I remember those Greek letters, I have no idea. Uh, but I, I needed to get some funds, so I, uh, I, 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 I did a fundraiser. And I brought in a, a, a company and a gentleman, and his name was, I kid you not, Mr. Suit was his name, Mr. Suit. And Mr. Suit would come in in all his uh, sport coats and jackets and, you know, try and, you know, bring it. I mean, he literally brought in, like, you had, like, coals lined up in the student union, okay? All these racks of sport coats and coats and all that. 
in suits, and Mr. Suit came in to dress up the campus, right? And we would get a cut for every suit that sold. And Mr. Suit, he would come around to all the, uh, the guys, it's all guys wear, and the guys would come up and he would put a nice, you know, blazer on them, and he would kind of size them up and said, man, you look like a million bucks, right? And all the flattering words would come up. Oh, your mama, she'll be so excited, right? You, you're, you know, she'll be so proud of you. Uh, you're going you're gonna to win that next job. Uh, there's a great future ahead of you because of this sports coat. And all these flattering words come out. Same thing if you go and look for a car, right? Oh, this was meant for you. This, this, will, this will do you perfect for everything you need, right? And um, a used car salesman becomes your best friend. Flattery. Flattery. It's a form of lying that's very insidious. It's presented as compliments that are actually insincere praise. Flattery, get this, it masquerades as encouragement. But in reality, it's manipulation. And it's, malip- it's manipulation to achieve selfish ends. You see, encouragement is truth spoken for the good of another person. It comes out of love and concern and care for someone else. But flattery are deceptive lies to use other people. And it's all under the guise of loving intentions. It's a ruse, right? Flattery is, char- is a characteristic of the wicked. Psalm 5.9 says, For there is no truth in their mouth, and their, their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Why do, I, why do we flatter? Perhaps it's to crave attention. Maybe it's a fast track for help. Maybe I just want to be perceived positively. Flattery then uses others through deceitful words to achieve that end. Much more we could say about flattery, but an insidious uh, sin. And we'll, we'll talk more about sins of righteousness next week, including words of affirmation. How to affirm someone properly, encourage someone properly, rather than presenting it in a selfish way like flattery. Next one we'll look at, uh, next sin of the tongue, gossip and slander. We've got a two-parter here, gossip. Maliciously discussing details about someone else that is often false or sensationalized. All right? Sinful intentions fuel gossip. They seek to spread information to the harm of others or to promote self. Sly, devious, evil intentions. They're stealthy, this, this whisperer. Um, it talks about in Proverbs 16:28, a dishonest, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer spread, uh, separates close friends. And then slander is the spreading of false information about someone with malicious intent. False charges, right? Misrepresentations that defame and damage another person's reputation. Why would we do these things? Why do we, you know, why why, why do we? want to hear or promote things like this. And Proverbs 18.8 says that, that participation in gossip are like delicious morsels. Participation in gossip, it, it can be alluring, can it? It can be fun. It can be addicting. This, this, this sinister desire to have the dirt on someone. 
to be the first to break the news. Perhaps a gossip is a backdoor means to revenge, and we have to deny this sinful craving and, 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 and know that the spreading of rumors, even if they're factual, are, can, can be very hurtful to others. So, again, we have to be careful with these things. We can, um, there are times we need to share and speak things and to help others, but it's so insidious and sinister here that we'll often, even in a prayer group, uh, share uh, a gossiping details about something in the guise of prayer and with good intentions. And this is where we need to uh, uh, be careful and have and exercise wisdom and discernment. Angry speech, another sin of the tongue. These are rash and hateful words that arise from pride and selfishness. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Angry speech, uncontrolled anger, um, so much disunity, so much dissension, so much conflict come out of sinful anger, temper tantrums, blow-ups, outbursts of livid rain, uh, rage. And hateful, angry words can often escalate into physical acts of violence and, and physical harm. And yet Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We can diffuse situations where they're quite emotional and lead to sinful actions and words, and yet a proper use of words can totally turn the situation in a different direction. We need to keep moving along here. Another area of sinful, sinfulness in our tongue are quarrels and strife and arguments somewhat related to angry speech. These are contentious words that fuel strife, arguments, dissension, conflict, and fighting. Proverbs 26, 21 says, As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Here's the bottom line. It's, a, it's sinful to delight in verbal combat. It's sinful. Stirring up dissension. It's not to be tolerated among God's people. Titus 3, 10 through 11 says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So much of our discourse today in the town square, if you will, or in the radio waves of the internet and everything we're watching on our smartphones and on our our laptops, it's largely argumentative and quarrelsome. Bullying, name-calling, getting that viral Twitter moment through this flamethrower of a statement. It's everything but Christian and causes great harm to others. Proverbs 18.6 says, or yeah, Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and, and quarreling and abuse will cease. And I must say, in, our, in our, our political circles, we as Christians have tolerated this to the extent where I believe it's, it's seeped into our own lives, where it's just okay. It's okay to bully someone down with such argumentative speech because we believe it's right and mow them over in character assassination, 
or angry words. And I don't care if it's the President of the United States who is red or one who's blue. This kind of speech is not the fitting of a believer and shouldn't be tolerated amongst our speech. All right? Moving right along, excessive words, ver- verbosity. Did you realize this is a sin? Where speaking many more words than are necessary for the moment or circumstance? Proverbs 10, 19 says this, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. A zipper on the lips is a good thing when we're tempted to say more words than we should for the moment or the circumstance. One commentator says this, Words are like sheep. The more there are, the better the chances that some will go astray. Talk radio, you know, I, there's constant apologies, right? Or sometimes things that should be apologized for and aren't. Why? Because in many words, there's great opportunity for transgression. And sometimes we're better off just being a better listener. Those who speak too much are typically those that just aren't very good at listening. And it's impossible to learn while I'm talking. Why? Well, we believe that what we have to say deserves greater attention than what others have to say. And and some of this is just learning to listen and not speak to everything that crosses our ears, okay? So pursue becoming a better listener. Hasty speech, words spoken so quickly that they lack wisdom and discernment. We're so quick. Boy, so many times we feel we have to respond. We have to respond to this post. We have to respond to this... uh, uh, you know, this, this, this newest thing on Instagram or, or, or Facebook and, or Twitter, and that's not right, and I have to fire back, and we have to launch missiles in that direction. And we're hasty in the moment when emotions are run, running high. And sometimes I, in, a, in an email string at work, I've, when things were said that aren't right or, or misrepresented, perhaps things that were personal or things I have done, and in the moment I, I'm just throwing out the flamethrower emails, right? Hasty hastily. And in the moments I've stopped, or in God's goodness, interrupted what I was doing, and I had time to pause and things, like I I look back and say, I was so glad I did not send the email that I wanted to send in that moment to tell this person off or put them in their place. And so often it's just stopping and asking for wisdom and not responding hastily. Boasting boasting, another sin of the tongue, prideful, arrogant assertions about one's life in his or her circumstances, future, and abilities, right? Arrogance. The scriptures say, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. So, you know, God calls for humility. God calls for looking to him and his will for our lives and not our own and boasting arrogantly about our future that only God controls and not ourselves. Boasting. And finally, lies and deception. This is probably one of our biggies, right? Lies. Communications that are blatantly not true. And the close, the close corollary, the close sin to lies that we so deceptively enter in and accommodate with our lips. Deception. Communication that intends to mislead by misrepresenting or concealing information. Wow, we can be so good at that, can't we? 
not to bring out all the, the, the direct details that would be lying, but just shading the truth enough to give the people, the, the hearers or the listeners, the impression of something that's really not true. Couching it deceptively. This is the way Satan and the serpent started the fall of man, how they instigated temptation to, to Eve and to Adam. Uh, lies, deception, misrepresenting, withholding, concealing important facts. So much more we, we could say about, about this, and maybe we will next week a little bit as we look at the replacements for lies and deception. But in the final few minutes we have, I want us to think about what you were taking note of when we were talking about these various sins of the tongue. And just take us through a little strategy here, things that won't be new to you, but kind of wrap things together. What do I do with this? All right, I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying. How do I address that? What do I do? What is that telling about my heart? How do I, how do I, how do I attack these things? I, 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 I want to grow in my godliness. I want, to, I want to grow in not saying careless words. I want God to be satisfied with my speech. I want to live my, out my identity in Christ. I want to grow more in, 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 my, in, my, in my, my striving to be sanctified and like the Lord. And here's a two-dimensional, I'm calling it a two-dimensional strategy for battling the sins of my tongue. And here's the two. First, address the specific sins of the tongue. The ones you were identifying here, gossip or lies or my complaining and whining, right? Address it. Okay, so I... Get to the specific sins of the tongue. And then the second thing I want you to think about is address the underlying idols of the heart that are associated with that, that sin, okay? That sin of the tongue. Address the specific sins of the tongue. Address the underlying idols of the heart. Now, here's some points for each one of them, all right? When we talk about addressing specific sins of the tongue, identify your sinful speech and how you specifically say it. These are what I was just asking you to do, right? Rich was complaining. Rich was not promoting edifying response to the traffic situation I was in. I was grumbling. That's specifically sin in the scripture. Confess this sin to God, point number two, and make things right with men. If I've sinned against someone else, confess it. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Call it out. Call it for what it is. It's sin. I'm justifying it through these circumstances, but now I'm saying, Lord, that's no justification. These, 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 this sin, this speech is not befitting of a believer. And then put it off. Put off the sinful speech and put on its godly replacement. Now, I'm going to take you through this a little bit and how I did this with my, uh, my grumbling and complaining. But let's first talk about the idols of the heart, right? So these first things, addressing the sins of the tongue, we're talking about here, about this first level of addressing my sin, right? It's right out there. Rich is grumbling and complaining, right? Sinful speech. I'm confessing that to the Lord. I should not be speaking this way. I... Lord, I am, I, am, I am sorry for the sin of grumbling. I confess that to you. I know your sin covers that. Help me not to do it again. And then I'm putting off sinful speech, right? I'm, I'm saying I'm not, I'm going to stop complaining. 
I'm going to obey here. I'm going to dress my heart. And I'm going to put on godly replacements in its place. All right? And then address the underlying idols of the heart. What am I doing here? I'm identifying the ruling desire that's motivating the sinful speech. Why am I grumbling and complaining? I'm confessing my wayward heart to the Lord. Right? This is not my, the way my heart should be. My heart's not pleasing to the Lord. This is all about myself and not him. And then I'm, I'm exchanging these idols with a fear and trust in God. All right? I'm going to make my heart more like what God wants it to be. So, Rich's sinful speech on his recent road trip, grumbling and complaining. And we look at addressing the specific sins of the tongue, I'm identifying it. I grumbled and complained. I was specifically voicing ill towards the other drivers. I, I identified it, right? And I, I, at, on the, at the moment there, I confessed that to the Lord. I said, Lord, these complaints, they're, they're not... They're not characteristic of what a believer should be saying, grumbling, complaining. You speak harshly against it. And I confess that to the Lord. I ask for forgiveness. And I chose, I put it off, I chose to stop whining. Lord, help me, the Spirit of God, to say no. I now can say no. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the Spirit of God. I have a new heart. And what did I do instead? I, I, I chose to put on thankfulness. I chose patience. I chose instead of complaining about the pickup truck in front of me, I was literally talking to Christy. Christy, remember, I think you'll remember the conversation. And I started, I started talking to my wife. I started, well, let's enjoy some time with Christy. <laughs> While I'm complaining about this driver up there, wouldn't it be a little bit more edifying just to have enjoy time with my wife, 45 miles per hour? the cornfields of Ohio while I'm fighting off temptation? Yes. In fact, God gave me many more opportunities as we zigzag through Ohio and through West Virginia and on through Virginia on the way home yesterday. But then take it to the next level. Address the underlying idols of the heart. And I had to ask myself, why am I complaining? What is my sin behind the sin here? Rich, what do you want that you're not getting here? Right? I've confessed the sin of complaining, but now I, I, I have to take it back to the heart. Why am I complaining? Why am I whining? Why do I sound so dissatisfied? Someone was getting in the way of my plans. It was that pickup truck. That was my circumstances, and I was blaming them. I had a schedule, and someone else was changing it, and I didn't like it. So I confessed my wayward heart to God. Lord, forgive me of my self-centeredness. Forgive my dissatisfaction when things don't go my way, my discontentedness. Lord, I'm dissatisfied. I'm dissatisfied with these circumstances that you ordain, that you control. And therefore, my grumbling was really a complaint against you, Lord, this, this circumstance just brought out the ugly in my heart that I was willing to sin in order to try to preserve it or to get what I wanted. So, Lord, forgive me for making my plans more important than yours and help me now to submit to your, to your plan for my life today. So exchange the idols of your heart with a fear and trust in God and his ways. 
Lord, help me get my eyes off myself and to put my gaze on you, your ways, your desires. Lord, make me a servant when, when I'm with the family later today. You know what was going through my heart? I'm like, I was, I was being such a Martha. I was being so, so concerned about the details of getting there. We, and we needed to get there. We had food in our car and needed to be warmed up and it wasn't going to be in time. And I had all my reasons justifying my grumbling and complaining, right? And you know, my heart wasn't in the right place to be able to serve that day to listen to other people. I said, Lord, change my heart. It's all about me right now. I want you on the throne of my heart here. I want you in control the rest of the day. And my heart is in no shape to do that. So Lord, change my heart. You're sovereign over all things for my good. So inform your heart with truth. Study this, this, this issue of the heart that you're struggling with. And... and, and um, Immerse yourself with the truth of scriptures. Delight in his word. Um, and, you know, God gave us other circumstances on the way back. You know, we had the Buckeye game yesterday, and I, I, well, surely it's on the radio, Michigan, Ohio State. Oh, no, not through West Virginia. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I have my plan in my mind. This is what I'm going to listen to, and Christy will find it. We'll stream it while I'm driving. And... Um, and finally, Christy found a streaming radio station that had the Buckeye game. But oh, those dreaded mountains in West Virginia. It got in, it got in the way. And I'm looking at these mountains and what everyone is like enjoying the beauty of the mountains. I'm like, you're in the way of my <laughs> listening to the game. And, uh, and, 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 and I was tempted to start complaining. But you know what? This whole idea of myself and life revolving around me, it was fresh in my mind from the previous bouts with the pickup trucks going 45 miles an hour. You know, I was more prepared to deal with it. When I addressed my sin and the desires of my heart there, it helped me address the sins and the desires of my heart in another area. And I can say I was faithful there. I I didn't give in to complaining. I don't think I did. You can ask Christy later. Uh, It kept going in and out, in and out. And it wasn't a good game anyway, so it was all good in the end for us Buckeye fans. So... um, Let's just close with this. Look what David said. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Psalm 141, verse 3. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And look what he says in verse 4. Do not let my heart incline to evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds. The tongue and the heart, they're connected. Make the connection. May God give you grace and help is you look at the sins of the tongue. It's important. God puts a great priority on it. And may God help us become more like his son in all the strength and the provision he's given to us in Christ.